Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. All right. Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, and I am thrilled that I have Christopher Gruitz on today as my guest. So really quick, just to start, I always talk about why I invited the guest on the show. Amazingly enough, Chris Gruitz and I have known each other since we were 12. We were actually seventh grade sweethearts. (laughs) So I am not, I'm going to just start inviting all my sweethearts from the past onto the show (laughs) for the best thoughts ever show. But the, the part that's so cool about Chris is that he has a very, very successful career in the arts. And we've been fantastic friends ever since. What I really am excited about today is that we're going to talk about leadership in a very different industry. Most of the time we talk corporate, but today it's going to be a bit different. So Chris, nice to have you on and please introduce yourself. Welcome. Thank you. And it's great to see you and talk to you. So my name is Chris Gertz. I'm the executive and artistic director of the Annenberg Center for the Performing Arts or Penn Live Arts at the University of Pennsylvania. And so that's the second largest performing arts center in the Philly Metro. And my career has mostly been in arts, culture, and education. And so I'm just going to dive in our big question of the day. Who's your best boss ever? Well, it was interesting when you kind of tasked me with thinking about this. I was pleasantly surprised looking back at my career, which is, you know, truthfully been in a variety of different places, geographically, types of institutions. And I was pleased to realize that I had a lot of really great bosses. I had a lot of great leadership and a lot of great mentoring. So I have a couple, but certainly I would say one of them was the head of marketing, somebody I worked for at a large cultural institution in New York. I was really brought in to head up digital strategy for this institution. And, you know, arts and culture is a kind of a unique business. These are nonprofit business models, so they're mission-driven, but they function at a very high level, at a very high level programmatically, curatorially. They're bringing in artists from all around the world and serving audiences. So I think in this business, you're really balancing both the kind of mission-driven program with a very kind of brass tack sales operation. You have to sell tickets, you have to sell subscriptions, you have to get people in the door. So it's very just like any business, but the other component, of course, is fundraising. So engaging donors and kind of your mission and your vision. And so at that place, I had two bosses that were really great. The first is a director of marketing. And something that I always admired about how she managed was she always really managed with context. So if you think about transparency and management, this is obviously a big buzzword these days. Everybody wants transparency. And when you really consider it, you know, in my view, transparency really is about context. You know, how are you kind of identifying the why for the people that you manage and that team that you lead? You know, why are we doing this? Why are we making this decision? And I think in her case, she always identified the why and she always took the time to kind of talk it through with us. We weren't just tasked with get this campaign out the door. We got to hit the sales target. That certainly was part of it. But the reason we were doing it at that point in time or the why of doing it, it's supporting this program in this way. We're trying to reach this audience in this way. And that really gave us a different sense of purpose and mission in a lot of our day-to-day. We really felt like we all understood we were all kind of buying into a larger purpose, which 
in a lot of ways is very important for nonprofit workers and managers. They're all working in this industry, not for the money, but really because of the mission and because they get out of bed in the morning really excited about the mission of that organization. Such a good point, because again, you know, how do you engage people in getting all the, the heavy lifting done, especially I would imagine in your world, how do you get all that heavy lifting done when people again, aren't, <laughs> you aren't getting paid the corporate dollars and they're not getting, you know, so how do you get them excited and motivated and engaged, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, what a lot of people don't realize about nonprofit management is that you're always under-resourced, right? You never have enough staff, you never have enough resource to get things done. So people are very committed. They're really working at an incredibly high level, managing multiple projects, multiple tasks with, you know, far less resources than a typical corporate environment. And so I think in this case, my boss at the time really was able to kind of ignite passion in all of us. We felt a sense of purpose. And I think that was primarily a result of the fact that we had the context. We understood the kind of background. Something that she did, which I thought was fantastic, is you know, as a senior manager, as a, basically a vice president at the institution, she would attend senior meetings. And whatever she could share with her team, you know, that was not embargoed or not confidential, she would share with us. She would give us updates about like what the big strategic conversations were. And of course, she had the blessing of the CEO, but it was really about giving us the full picture. So even, you know, some of the team that I managed as a director, uh, you know, kind of an email manager, for instance, they would understand why their emails were so important, why they were trying to communicate the program, what the CEO was thinking about programming for that particular uh, week. So the context, I think, really really aided in, in a lot of our kind of bigger purpose and motivation. I just thought that was a fantastic way to manage. It makes so much sense, again, to rally people around a big vision, right? And then you said there was a, there were two of these great managers. So I was really you know lucky to kind of grow up professionally at this place. And I think the other person would definitely be the CEO. This is somebody who is a mentor for me, who opened a lot of doors for me. And I think in both of these cases, both of these bosses that I'm referencing, Something, you know, as I thought about this or your podcast, something that really occurred to me was that in both cases, they really leveraged their professional networks for me and for other colleagues. You know, there was never this kind of position of, well, I'm the boss and I'm the only one who has access to this broader network of professionals and artists. You know, they were very ready to really leverage their professional network, to give me resources, to connect me with people who might aid in my own career trajectory. And that made all the difference for me professionally. They were very good about connecting me to a wide variety of people nationally and internationally that really opened a lot of doors. So I would say in this case, the CEO of the institution where I worked, he was just a really remarkable driven visionary for our industry. And getting back to this idea of you know context and transparency, in a lot of strategic discussions with him, when we were talking about institutional strategy, or you know, in these institutions, you're presenting programs for the public, you know, performance programs, you're bringing in artists and working with them. And a lot of it was he really led through asking questions through curiosity, I would say. And why are you thinking that? How or how can we do this better? It wasn't necessarily we're going to be doing this, you know, and this is happening at this date. It was more about what are we considering here? What are all of the facets that we can consider as a collaborative group? At the end of the day, he would make the decision, but it was really about walking us through a process of curiosity, of discovery, and really collaborating to come up with what we thought was the best approach. And that curiosity piece, I mean, that's 
it's so interesting how that creates like a more level playing field when you're trying to collaborate. It's really true. You certainly know, you know, with a CEO, a leader, you know, they're in charge, they're the boss, obviously. But we never felt like our perspective was taken for granted or we didn't have a a say, if that makes sense. It felt like we really were contributing, that we all were kind of playing our part on really every level of the organization. And I think that when you think about senior management in large institutions or companies, and the CEO, of course, as you know, sets the tone, he or she sets the kind of you know, culture in a lot of ways with that leadership team. And I always thought it was so impressive that that really trickled down to the director level, the managerial level, that we really felt like, hey, you know, we, we actually have helped make this decision, or at least at the very least, we know why this decision has been made. We know why these programs are going out the door next month or why we're, you know, scheduling things in this particular way. So if I was a fly on the wall in a meeting with this particular CEO, can you just give me like some like play-by-play of what a meeting would look like. Sure. So we would a lot of times be talking about curatorial decisions. And so this CEO is also the artistic director. And in my business, that really means they're the person that curates the season. So invites world-class artists and performers to the stages to perform for the public. And so the quality of those artists, the types of artists are really at the highest level internationally. And so that's a very interesting and very challenging business. It's very tough to get artists to come to your venue to perform a lot of the time. You're managing tours. And a lot of the time, you're really always trying to stay ahead of the curve, right? It would be similar to a corporate setting where you're trying to do R&D to come up with that next product line to stay ahead of the curve for your customer segment. And so in a lot of ways, he would walk us through curatorial decisions. He would frame a decision and say, we're going to approach you know, a festival, let's say, next year, and it's going to be focused on this composer, on this artist, for example. And a lot of the challenge was, how can we best communicate that to the audience? Or what are some ideas or approaches we should consider for the paying audience? How do we best frame it for them? And then he would kind of task us with this challenge. And as we would talk through that idea, for example, how do we best communicate this composer? or How do we structure this festival? He would really ask so many questions and you would really be in a meeting where it's like, oh gosh, really, are there more questions, you know? But what I realized is that those questions really drew out a lot of different fantastic ideas and they weren't necessarily direct kind of straight ahead questions at the start. He would kind of ask them from different angles, you know, well, okay, we're thinking about this composer. Why why is this important? for example, why would an audience think this is important? Or why is this time of year optimal within the broader context of the season? And so that kind of questioning really, I think, brought out a different level of consideration. It really gave us just a broader view of why we were doing something. And it led the team to feel like they had really considered and thought deeply about that particular program, project, or initiative. That is amazing. Now, I'm kind of curious, when you think of any other people, first of all, that have shaped your leadership, even outside of, let's say, bosses, like, is there anyone else that comes to mind? Because you've met, you know, world-class musicians from all, literally all over the world. You've just worked with an incredible pedigree of people. So I'm curious, when you think of other people that have influenced your leadership, I'm, I'm curious who comes to mind. So there are several people. I guess I would generalize to start to say that the leaders that I've admired have always really clearly defined the future. And so the examples I just gave you, they that was more about you know context and curiosity and leading through collaboration and discovery. 
really having teams understand the why. But ultimately, all of those leaders and so many bosses that I've had have always defined the future. They've really always defined for us where we're going and why we're going there, and then communicated over and over and over and over again, right? I mean, so many of us know, you know, in leading teams, like how much you have to communicate to that team to constantly remind them. And I think as a manager and as a leader, you might feel often that you're just repeating yourself or you're beating a dead horse. And it's like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm telling them again, you know, what we're doing. But I don't think you can ever communicate enough, you know, and when we're talking about organizational strategy or corporate strategy, departmental strategy, it really is about defining that future for folks so that they are operating under really clear guidelines and ideas about where we're all going. Because it really, I I feel in so many ways, empowers your team to make decisions based on that broader strategy that everybody's bought into. So the best bosses I've had have always really defined that future and constantly brought us back to evaluating where we were. I remember another institution that I worked at in Michigan, we had an organizational strategic plan that everyone had put together and it was a five-year strategic plan. And so often strategic plans are created with a board of directors and the executive staff and the team. And then they're kind of just, you know, put away, they're filed away and you've got a nice fancy report that you paid a lot of money for, but not necessarily (laughs) revisited. And in this case, what I thought was so impressive is, you know, the executive team and the organization set up a website that really was structured for both the board and the staff that had kind of a very kind of quantitative approach to our strategic goals. So we would have goals listed by area, you know, marketing, for example, or education or whatever. And they would have kind of a a red, green, or yellow process light around that goal. So that at any point in in time, and this sounds so silly to relate it now because it's so simple, right? You could, as a staff member, as a board member who is supporting the institution, really just dip in and see, well, where are we on that goal of, you know, increasing educational customers, you know, by hundred percent or whatever it was. Oh, we're at green. We've accomplished that. And here's how we accomplished it. Right. With a, with the brief summary. And then when we would get to all staff meetings a couple times a year, we would revisit these larger strategic goals from the plan and kind of look at the metrics and look at that yellow, green, red to see, well, yeah, we did. And, Oh, by the way, here are a few that are in that yellow category that we really haven't moved the needle on. Let's really revisit this and refocus on this. And so I think that goes back to this idea of setting the direction, right? We've all collaborated to say, here's the direction we're going, but then really communicating over and over where we are in that journey. And as you know, a manager myself and as a, as a CEO now myself, I really have learned that that is so vital for teams to to really understand where you are in that process. So definitely bosses who did that effectively, you know, the one in Michigan that I referenced was really a a really fantastic experience. That's such a smart idea. Like that idea of having a place where everybody can go back and see the strategic goals. The red, yellow, green is so simple. It's like our brains, you know, we want the quick, (laughs) we want the quick answer, right? Like, are we, are we on or are we off? That's what most of us really want to understand. To your point, I see a lot of my clients do that where there's big, heavy strategic goals and then they kind of get tucked away and we just get busy doing tactical execution. And, you know, a year later, everybody kind of looks back and goes, oh, I might've hit the mark on one or two, but not quite so many, right? 
Right, right. And I feel like it's a great point because I feel like so often, this, I would say particularly in the corporate world, but it also happens at nonprofits, we're really focused, you know, on our quantitative measurements, right? right? You know, what right. was our revenue? Our numbers, what, yeah. We're having our, right, what are our numbers? We're having our quarterly meeting, you know, what's our expense budget look like? What is our revenue looking like? We're really good at keeping track of those. Yeah. Uh, but when, but tying them back to those broader strategic efforts, I think a lot of companies miss, a lot of organizations miss. So I think, you know, if we can be good and kind of regimented around, you know, looking at our number goals, our sales goals, our engagement goals, et cetera, we have to tie those back to that larger strategy and really say at those times, you know, take 15 minutes in your quarterly check-in with the sales department or whomever to say, okay, and this, how does this tie back to your department strategic goals? Where are you on those? And that connection between those two levels, I find a lot of bosses don't do, but the bosses who do do that, I think just lead through much greater transparency. They are giving you, they're reminding you of this direction and defining that future that you're headed toward. So I'm just curious when you think of the not best bosses you've worked for, <laughs> that's always my favorite question. Right. I've never had any of those. You've never had a not great boss. So we know that, but just let's say from other people's stories. Sure. <laughs> um, sure. But no, it's just kind of interesting. What are some of the traits that you've seen that for you personally were disengaging or the toughest, the toughest traits for you to work for? That's a great question. So I think that we all have had, you know, kind of the micromanager, you know, supervisor or boss who just, uh, you know, really wants to control every everything down to every last detail. And so I think, of course, those are tough circumstances to work under, particularly if you're operating at a high level or you're achieving the goals in your job. You know, it's one thing if you're not doing your job and the manager has to step in, of course. But so I think that that kind of approach to kind of micromanagement is really challenging. But something that I've always found with bosses, the bosses who are very protective of hierarchy and very protective of networks. So, you know, you as kind of a 20-something assistant, for example, or manager trying to learn and trying to grow, those folks who really didn't want you in the room, who really kind of you know, leaned on that hierarchy to kind of not bring people together, not bring them in, not let them have access to their professional network. I always found that really challenging because of course, you're not setting up an environment where a person can learn and grow and do better at their job. And so that that was always, I think, the more challenging type of aspects from the not great bosses. Right. You know, something, something else I thought about in thinking about the best bosses was my boss in New York, the head of marketing that I mentioned, she would always bring in guest speakers for us. She would bring in people from outside of our organization who worked in the same industry to come talk to us, to do like a coffee chat about what they were working on or some best practice that they were talking about or referencing. And that provided so much outside expertise and influence. And it not only was saying, hey, she was humble enough to say, there's people who know more than me in this particular area. So I'm going to bring them in and have them talk to you about what we're trying to achieve. So it kind of, it was a great degree of humility in that sense, but also it gave us kind of a broader view or a wider view of our industry, which I think a lot of people forget when they're working in a big company or a big organization. But certainly to answer your bad boss question. It was those folks who were the opposite of that, who didn't want you in the room, who didn't want to connect you and really were very, very focused on the hierarchy and like who works for who. And when I hear that, it makes me feel like you're always being sent to the kid's table. 
<laughs> yeah. It's like exactly. you can't eat at the adult sure. table. You right. gotta go sit at the kids' right. table. And you're always yeah. like, but really, I'm you know, not a kid. <laughs> like right. Yeah, and I want to learn. I can handle, know? I can handle what you're gonna yeah. talk about right. or whatever. Right. <laughs> so yeah. It's really interesting when you mention that too, because I can see where even the protective with networks, like as you introduce people to your network, it's a sign of confidence and trust and credibility. And so exactly. For, you know, it's very emotionally confirming that that person sees you as credible and sees you as valuable. Whereas like when they're hiding you in the closet, you know, it's like, <laughs> I don't feel very valued right now. Yeah. Right. He's like, you know, please, you know, please, you're not allowed to see the front of house kind of a thing. So I think that's a great, great example. Just to bring this to close, if you had to teach or advise future leaders on something, I mean, I, I I hear your big points today around context, and I really like your point around defining the future. Can you give me a really tactical tip that you would give somebody who's really aspiring to be a best boss? That's a great question. I think when you're managing a team, whether it's a department or you know a small team, even if it's you know one or two people, I think you know in whatever functional area that you're operating in, I think it's really important to take time and to reflect on how you fit within the larger picture. So I think we're very task oriented in America. This is something that's just part of our business culture. It's like get, you know you got to get your tasks done, you got to move on. And I think as a manager, you know certainly managers are always trying to balance task based work, you know, and leaders are trying to move certainly at a top leadership level away from tasks and more managing other people's work and focusing on strategic decisions and partnerships, for example. But I think if you're managing any team, you really have to step back and say, why are we doing this? How does this connect to the company's overall strategy? What's our piece of it? And why is that piece important? And if you don't take time to do that, people are just working in a vacuum. They're just doing their tasks. They're just completing, and they may be getting them done but they're not going to be motivated over the long term to kind of deliver for you. So I think that would be something that I feel is really important as a manager. You're connecting back to that bigger picture and again, communicating it over and over. I also think, of course, as managers, our job really is to help our employees grow. The best outcome for you as a manager is your employee that's been working for you, that they're doing a phenomenal job. You've connected them to your own professional network and helped them leverage informational interviews and other opportunities. And if they leave, that's you know not ideal for your day-to-day business in the short term, but it means that they're going on to if they're going on to something better, you've really done your job as a manager. And I think that that you know, I referenced my earlier uh, CEO in New York, you know, so many of the people that I worked with at that institution are now leading other institutions around the country. And that's really a result of his mentorship and his investment in all of us. So I think that, you know, that investment, you know, after setting the direction, defining the context, really that investment in your people, of course, is the most important thing. You know, just to kind of wrap this up, it makes me think when you're talking you know, I obviously work with over a hundred leaders a year. And one of the things that we get really good at is teaching leaders how to coach and develop. And the reason that that skill becomes important is because you might have turnover as people's careers advance, but if you love the teaching development and growing of your people, you really are never going to have a problem. It's your insurance policy. So if you're just good at cultivating talent, you don't have to be scared if your talent goes on. And the other thing is, is that then you start playing a long game. So you're now influencing an industry. 
And your reach is now all the way across an industry versus being just myopic and in your four walls. And I think we got to get leaders to think much bigger because just like you said, you know, that great CEO you worked for who is busy connecting you to people outside of, you know, in his network, you know, you obviously have since moved on to other, another organization, but his reach is still there. Right. And I'm sure your loyalty to him is going to be there forever. Right. Absolutely. I think that's such a great point, Christine. I think so much of it obviously is contingent on doing a good job, right? So let's preface the whole idea with, you know, as an employee, you need to be doing an outstanding job and you need to deliver on your job. But if you are and you have that type of boss or leader, you're absolutely right. It's going to pay dividends down the road and you're really going to see a more of an industry-wide impact over time because yeah the connecting you know leaders connecting their employees to their broader network can make all the difference for people as they develop their career absolutely well thank you so much for coming on the show this was awesome and i know for a fact that my audience is going to love this so thank you chris thank you christine it's been great if you want to hear more join me at christine and sign up for our newsletter the whip